with that, I'm excited to introduce uh, a friend of mine uh, this morning who is going to be uh, uh, sharing his heart uh, with us, Dr. Chip Dickens. Um, uh, Dr. Dickens and I met probably, I, I was trying to do the math in between services, and I don't know if he remembers this or not, but uh, I used to serve on staff at another church here in town, Northwest Bible Church, and uh, I met with Chip and Kay Daigle when uh, a ministry called Reengage was just getting started. And we ran a pilot uh, group uh, out of uh, our church uh, there. And that's the first time I met uh, Dr. Dickens about 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and we've stayed in touch. And he, he's just an amazing guy with an amazing heart for the Lord, first and foremost. And then an amazing heart for people um, to help people be better. Um, Dr. Dickens is, uh, on, uh, is, is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is currently the chair and professor of biblical counseling uh, there. He is married to Rebecca, and, uh, and they have two kiddos um, as well. And so will you do me a favor this morning and welcome Dr. Dickens here uh, with us. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Well, good morning, you guys. Good to see everybody. Okay, that picture up there, yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, It's always funny when you hear yourself being introduced, and uh, I encourage you sometimes, like, talk to your family, see if they can, you know, introduce you before you walk into a room. It always sounds weird. It's always like, man, I hope I get to meet that person. They sound kind of interesting. Um, anyway, thanks, Brian, so much. Thanks for letting me be with you guys. It's always a... Uh, uh, I never take it for granted, but just whenever you get to um, be in somebody else's, you know, part of their family, I, you guys have made me feel really welcome, and uh, hospitality is definitely one of the gifts that uh, this uh, this community has, so thank you so much, you guys, especially uh, the leadership, you guys have made me feel really part of the family, so thank you. Hey, let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into God's Word together, and hopefully He'll have something that uh, will bless you, challenge you. Uh, something you can put in to practice, right, you know, even this afternoon into your life. So uh, join me, let's pray. Father, thanks so much for uh, uh, just our time together today. We don't take that for granted. I don't take it for granted. And, and even now, as we look into your word, I pray that you uh, would have full authority over all that we talk about. I pray that uh, uh, indeed our hearts would be receptive and, and moldable and teachable. And um, Father, I pray that your word would come alive and and, uh, and really have an impact on our lives. Protect us from just becoming kind of just intellectually curious. And uh, even as we sung, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would just have all of us and that you would accomplish exactly what you have in mind today. So we give ourselves to you and we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior in this place. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about relationships. Uh, that's, uh, it's not just something that I'm interested in, uh, you know, professionally, whether working with families, parent-child relationships, husbands and wives. Um, it, it's something that I'm working on. Uh, this is something that, uh, stuff that I want to share with you today is, uh, things that the Lord's been teaching me as I think about my own marriage. Uh, Rebecca is not here with me today, but she's given me the green light to tell you whatever I want about her behind her back. So... Uh, I, I, you guys will get to know us a little bit, and then, uh, as Brian mentioned, we've got two kids. Uh, they're adult kids now, uh, but I even check with them, and th they give me the thumbs up on 
so I could, I could just air all of their dirty laundry behind them. And, uh, but they've agreed to be sermon illustrations as much as uh, they're willing. Uh, you know, they, they know some of these stories, so it's, it's not anything too unusual. But uh, you'll get to know me as the, as, the, as the time goes on. But the key thing here is we want to capture God's heart about, about relationships. So if you guys would, if you've got your Bibles with you, look with me uh, in John uh, chapter 13. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool little verse. It's, uh, there's just two verses here that we're going to zone in on. And as you're uh, uh, glancing there, just to set the scene, this is the kind of right in the, uh, the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. So he's been performing miracles, he's been teaching, he's, you know, gathering disciples and, you know, he, it, all of the things that you know about Jesus's earthly ministry, this is kind of right at the end. And I always love looking and paying even maybe more attention to the importance of people's last words. You know, what are the final instructions that Jesus wants to give his disciples? Uh, that's what we're going to read today. So it's in John 13, and look with me, if you will, in verse 34, and then we'll actually spill over to verse 35 too. So remember, capture the weight of this. Jesus is right at the end of his ministry, and these are his parting instructions. These are kind of like, I don't have any more time to explain it to you. Could you please just get this? Jesus says to them in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, I know if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, th these words don't sound new in your ear, but I want you to kind of look fresh at this with me, and I want you to capture this idea that that Jesus is very interested, almost more interested in how you guys care for each other, how you love one another in your relationships than just about anything else. There's a lot riding on this, not just our marriage relationships. So those of you who are married, you can apply this stuff today. Uh, those of you who are thinking about getting married, you know, this is stuff you want to tuck away and go, okay, I, can, I, I need to be thinking about this for my future marriage. But even if you're thinking about your other relationships with friends, colleagues, uh, other people in your family, you can apply some of the principles that I want to share with you today, even to those relationships, and they'll change them. But here's the thing I want you to take away is that not only can your relationships be different as we dive into this, but this is God's method. His, his strategy is not only for you guys to love each other so that you have better relationships, he wants you to love each other because he wants your relationships to be the, the marketing plan. This is the, this is the strategy that God is saying, this is how the world will know what I'm like. Look in verse 35 here. By this, meaning by how you guys love each other, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. The, the, the way that you're going to become identified with God is not, you know, what kind of... Uh, um, bumper sticker you put on the back of your car, not by uh, your political positions, not by your opinions that you kind of put here or there, but you're going to be known by your identity with God, by how you love one another. Love is the, is the calling card for how God is making himself known in this world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, not to put too much pressure on you, but God being known in this world is totally, he's like gone all in on 
you guys loving each other differently than the way the world loves each other. That's it. I mean, so how Rebecca and I love each other, if you got to know me and Rebecca and you watched us, let's say you were kind of creepy and you're stalking us and you're eavesdropping in on our marriage, you would go, hmm, that's amazing how she loves him. I wonder if God loves her that way. That's what I want you to do. I, like, I want you to kind of be curious about who God is by watching how we love each other. That you would look at me and go, wow, Chippa seems to be pretty gracious towards his wife. And not for you to go, wow, that's amazing, Chip. I would want you to go, I wonder how he knows how to do that. Like, I wonder why he's motivated to do that. I wonder if God loves him that way. So my relationships with other people are supposed to be kind of like signposts. These are supposed to be indicators for the rest of the world to look back and to say, that is how God loves me. So how does God love me? If, if this is the expectation that Jesus is saying to me, he goes, Chip, I want you to love other people the way I have loved you. It kind of begs the question for me to go, well, how has God loved me? Like, what's the manner of his love? Because apparently I'm supposed to be pulling that thing off with other people. And specifically for those of us who are married, I'm supposed to be figuring out how to love Rebecca the same way that God has loved me. And she's supposed to be doing the same thing. Well, I don't mind telling you, most great sermons have three points. This one's got four. So there's four different ways that, uh, that, that we're going to talk about today, just in brief, but I want you to kind of put them as like X marks the spots and dig into these later. The first way that I know that God loves me, the first way that I experience God's love is that God is super unconditional, no strings attached, committed to me. In, in, in theological terms, we call this a covenant kind of love. God loves me no matter what. And I'm telling you, I believe it. I believe it because the scriptures say it. I believe it because that is a supernatural kind of love. That is an otherworldly kind of love. I've got lots of people in this world who love me, but I'm telling you, they don't love me with a no matter what kind of love. You know what I mean. They're committed to me, but there's kind of expectations. They're, they're committed to me. They love me, but there's kind of strings attached. And if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, then their love for me is kind of like it's, it's got a question mark by it. It's got an asterisk. Like, I don't know if it's actually going to happen. I'm telling you, Jesus loves me with no strings attached. I don't have to do anything to provoke him or to obligate God to then love me. I believe this with all my heart, and I'm telling you, I love that kind of commitment from the Lord. He's with me all the way to the end. No matter what, I can go to the bank on it. Wouldn't it be cool, okay, here's the, here's the plan then, wouldn't it be cool if I could figure out how to love Rebecca that way? Wouldn't it be cool if I could figure out how to love my wife with no strings attached? Wouldn't it be cool if I could figure out how to love Rebecca without manipulating her to take care of some of my needs for me? Yeah, let's not get crazy here because that's just kind of how the world works, right? In fact, Jesus, it's amazing, you guys. Jesus actually talks about this right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have to go there. Just trust me on this one. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 5, he says, I want you guys to love your neighbors and your enemies. Meaning, I want you to love people who will do nothing for you. 
I want you to love people who are not even interested in taking care of your needs. Jesus is calling me to love somebody where I need to have no expectations that they're going to love me back or somehow take care of my needs, which is kind of a problem because I'm a needy guy. Like, I have needs, but I need to figure out some way to love Rebecca without, being, without my love being dependent on her performing for me. I remember early in our marriage, Rebecca and I, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll actually celebrate 30 years this summer. Yeah, that's like, a, if she was here, you would totally clap for her. But uh, she, she's an amazing woman. We, uh, we grew up in different families. I'll just say that, right? Uh, we, you can let your mind wander on this, but I grew up in a non-believing, fa- non-believing family at the time. And uh, we tried hard, but it, my family was a disaster growing up. My parents ended up getting divorced. My mom was a single mom with three kids. We were, the best way I could describe it is we were in survival mode. Um, you know, if someone bumped into me and goes, Chip, what are you doing like next year? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing on Tuesday. Like we're, we're, we're like living moment to moment. Rebecca grew up in a different family. She grew up in a wonderful, strong Christian family, a family of great faith heritage. Uh, her parents are like Ward and June, Christian Cleaver. You know, it was just, everything was just right. And you know, her family, one of the traditions in her family is that her mom, uh, they, they just prepared meals, you know, every night, you know, like a pot roast and green beans and, you know, and there was nothing special going on. It was just Tuesday at their house. At my home, we literally, my mom did the best she could, but she was working three jobs and most of my meals were like hot dogs or little Debbie snacks or, you know, something you could get out of a plastic bag or something like that. So I just didn't grow up feeling cared for, let's put it that way. People just didn't make meals for me. I mean, it was, so Rebecca and I are married. It's our first year of marriage. And uh, I'm in grad school. She's teaching and we're trying to make this thing work. And I still remember we're sitting at the little dining room table at our little condo. And uh, Rebecca was sitting off to my left. I had this picture in my mind. And I'm just eating dinner away. Things are good in my world. I'm like, I'm married. I've got a hot meal. <laughs> what else? This was back when the Cowboys were good. I mean, it was, life, was, life was great. And I still remember, I'm sitting there eating, and I look over at Rebecca. We hadn't been talking a whole lot. And I notice she's crying. And because I'm a psychologist in training, I could pick up on these things. And, and I was like, hey, babe. <laughs> what's what's wrong like what what, what, did something happen did I say something I'm thinking I didn't say anything so and she says well I don't know if you've noticed but this is uh um we're having spaghetti tonight and I was like I know like it's amazing this is like phenomenal I'm not used to people fixing meals for me this is so cool and she goes yeah but this is the fifth time this week we've had spaghetti and I'm like yeah, now that you mention it, I do remember eating spaghetti a lot this week. And she goes, the reason we're eating spaghetti is because I'm a horrible wife. I don't know how to fix anything else. I know one meal, and you're getting it, and I'm so distraught because how could you ever love me? We literally had this conversation, and I remember looking at her thinking, what does you performing or doing anything for me have anything to do with me deciding to love you? Like, I was almost confused. 
we're both Christians. I'm like, I've chosen to love you regardless of whether you know how to fix amazing meals, apparently. That's kind of, you know, she grew up in a home where that's what you did. Of course, I looked at her and said, I can count on one hand each year the number of times somebody fixed me a meal. This is amazing. You did it in one week. And, and she still felt like she was failing me. She felt like love was in the balance. Like it was, there was a question mark or an asterisk by it. And I remember early on in our marriage, we sat there and talked and I said, honey, I don't know how to tell you this. This may not even be encouraging to you, but I've already decided to love you no matter what. Like I'm going to love you with no strings attached. It doesn't matter if you're a good cook. Frankly, I told her this, I said, you could lay on the couch all day long and eat bonbons. Those are little candies. Or, and I said, you can watch soap operas all day and do nothing, and I've still decided I'm going to love you. And she just looked at me like I was crazy. She goes, well, aren't I supposed to be living up to these expectations? And I'm like, whatever. You, I don't know how to tell you this, but you literally have nothing to do with whether I decide to love you or not. I mean, it'd be great if you participated and, you know, you wanted it. But that's, but my love for you is not dependent on your performance for me. It blew her mind. And we've spent almost three decades now trying to figure out how to love each other with no strings attached. It's weird. It's different. I'm telling you, the rest of the world does not love this way. Christian love the love that Jesus has for you is a love that is committed to you no matter what because of his character, not because of your performance. Well, there's another quality of God's love that I want you to pick up on. So that first one, if you wanted to put a C next to it, if you're taking notes at home, uh, it's a commitment kind of love. It's a covenant kind of love. The second kind of way that I experience God's love, you, you guys would track with this too, but maybe me a little bit more, and it's that God loves me in that he steps right into the messiness of my world. In other words, I would say that God is a God who loves up close. He's a God who loves intimately. God does not love from a distance. God does not love you from way far away so he doesn't get any kind of messiness kind of splashing up on him. One of my favorite scenes in scripture is where Jesus is going to heal a man who has leprosy. I mean, he heals a lot of different people. But leprosy in particular has all these religious kind of overtones. It's kind of like, hey, not only are you sick, but you've been cursed by God. And so leprosy, you're supposed to, your job if you have leprosy is to be outside the community and to yell to everybody, unclean. That way you can warn everybody before they get close to you. You don't want them to get contaminated. It's almost like, hey, COVID. You know, don't get close to me. I got COVID. Well, in biblical times, if you had leprosy, you, you stayed away from people with leprosy because you didn't want to get spiritually or physically contaminated. I love that Jesus heals this man with leprosy, but what does he do? He touches him. He sits with him before he heals him from leprosy. God is a God who loves up close and personal. He is an intimate God. He the way that we describe this as counselors and psychologists is we call this quality oneness. It, it's kind of like God doesn't mind being on your team with you. There's a shared identity. There's a, an intimacy. Th that concept actually comes right out of Genesis in chapter 2 where the Bible is teaching us about how a husband and a wife should, should love each other. It says that 
that, that, that they should leave their families of origin and then cleave to each other. That word cleave, it actually has this idea of now there's something new being formed. There's a oneness or a closeness, an intimacy. Well, how does that oneness happen? In other words, how does God communicate oneness to me? Yes, he steps into the messiness of my life, and I should be willing to do that with Rebecca. I want to model that. But there's something interesting about that passage in Genesis. It actually says you have to, <laughs> this, is my, this is the Chip Dickens inversion, uh, version of it, okay? It actually says all other relationships need to be downgraded. If you're going to be married to someone, that relationship has to take priority. So here's what I want you to do with me right now. If you are not experiencing closeness or intimacy or that shared identity, my diagnosis is this. You probably haven't prioritized that relationship over other relationships. This is a really true biblical principle all throughout scripture, not just about marriage, but even think about your number one relationship. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus ought to be in that number one spot. If Jesus is not in your number one relationship priority spot, the scriptures are real clear. If something else is in that spot, like my job or another false god or money or anything else, my children, God calls that an idol. It's called idolatry. It's a serious problem. You can't be a Christ follower and let Jesus be like number four in your life. Okay, so he, he doesn't just kind of get to make it into the top 10. He has to be number one if he's going to be your Lord and Savior. Do you know that the scriptures are also just as clear on this for marriage? If you're married, your spouse goes in the number two spot. All other relationships have to become secondary. So even though I love my mom, guess what happened on my wedding day? Yep, I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, I love you. Thanks for giving birth to me. Thanks for giving me life. You've just been downgraded. I'm dead serious. I walk around through life telling all the important people in my life, I love you. You're special. You're just not that important. My wife, Rebecca, gets the number two spot. What it means for me to be married is she's in the number... Now, she's not number one. She's not my savior, though she'd kind of like to be sometimes. I've said, hey, don't worry. Jesus has got that one. I'll worship him instead of you. And then she grins and goes, okay, I'll just be your spouse. So she's in the number two spot. But if Rebecca ever feels like her number two spot is being threatened, like if she has to compete with someone else for the number two spot, the Bible calls that adultery. Idolatry is if you violate the number one spot, if you violate the number two spot, like if all of a sudden my ministry, I love teaching at DTS, you guys. It's amazing. I get to hang out with all my heroes all day long. I get to hang out with amazing students who are going to change the world. But if that became so important to me that it started to ooch its way into the number two spot and Rebecca felt like she had to compete with it all the time, guess what I'm committing? Adultery. If my children start to become so important that they're in the number two spot, it's adultery. So I want to make sure that I get the relationships in the right priority so that Rebecca and I can feel oneness with each other. Now, those of you who are parents, I love seeing a couple of kids in the room. You can never start too early on this. 
I love our kids. They're 23. Our oldest is Josh. He's a young adult. Uh, our, our, he's our oldest. Our youngest is 20. Her name's Jill. She's an amazing, they're both uh, just amazing kids, amazing Christ followers. I couldn't be more just proud of them and, and inspired by them. And, but since they were little kids, I've sat down with both of them regularly and I'll just say, hey, Jill, you're as cute as could be. You're five years old. I love you. I'd give my life for you. You're just not as important to me as your mother is. And Jesus is even more important to me. So like in my life, sweetie, the best you'll ever be is number three. <laughs> and of course, she's like, okay, thanks. Like, uh, and it sounds brutal, but I just figure I might as well tell her straight up. I've told Josh, I've said like, buddy, are you kidding me? Like, I, I would give my life for you. But I don't know how to tell you this, but dude, mom and I were a great family before you came. And we're going to be great when you leave. And the best you're ever, <laughs> he kind of looked at me and I said, Josh, think about it like football. I said, you're, the best you're ever going to finish in the polls is number three. Like, you're never going to make it to the national championship game. Like, you'll never finish in the top two. And there's kind of part of me that goes, well, Dad, thanks for telling me you don't love me as much as others. But there's a sense of comfort that comes with that, you guys. He, he intuitively knows he should never be the center of my universe. He can look at me and go, Dad, you're amazing, but you're too needy for me. I could never be your savior. And then he looks at me and he goes, Dad, you're an amazing friend. I'm so thankful for you as a provider. You're funny. You're, you love to play games. But I could never be your partner in life. Like, I don't want you sitting down with me and talking about how the banking account and the mortgage is going and whether you want to, you know, move around the country. Like, I don't need to be part of those conversations. He's like, number three is perfect for me. Like, he doesn't want the weight of what comes with the responsibilities. So here's what I want to tell you is that the second way of experiencing God's love is this oneness, intimacy, and that's only achieved, you can only experience that if you get your relationships in the right order. So just this afternoon, I'm challenging you, sit around and talk about with your significant people in your life and figure out, hey, where are you? And then go ahead and let them know. There's nothing wrong with telling people, you're amazing. I'm so glad you're part of my life. You're like number six for me. And then just say, hey, I'm sorry, you're like A&M. You're not making it to the, okay, never mind. Both my kids went to A&M, so, uh, so we have A&M jokes all the time. And they won last night, so yeah. But the, like the best they're going to finish is number three or number four, right? Like it's not going to get any better than that. All right, we'll move, we'll move on. A third way that I know God loves me, that I need to live this out with my wife, Rebecca, and you guys already know this, but I want to I highlight it for you. One of the ways that I experience God's love is that he forgives me. He extends grace to me when I botch this thing. I hope you guys don't miss this truth. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing concept that God would breathe life into places that I've killed, places that are dead, places where I have sinned and he treats me as though I've never sinned. Somehow I have a righteousness that is not my own, and God forgives me. 
like, like we could just stop talking and go home and just spend eternity trying to wrap our brains around that. But here's what Jesus is telling us in John 13. Chip, I've loved you that way. What if you loved other people that way? What if you loved your wife that way? So guess what Rebecca and I do on a regular basis in our marriage? We are forgiving each other. We're extending grace to each other. And when I say that we're forgiving each other, I actually want you to get a sense of this. We forgive each other like hourly. Like this isn't something that like I did back in the mid-90s and I said, hey, remember that time? And I, I, so I forgive you for that. Rebecca and I, we're like, it's a normal part of our conversation. We sit around going, hey, could you forgive me when I was like a jerk about three minutes ago? Would you forgive me when I was inattentive? Would you forgive me when I wasn't paying attention? Would you forgive me when I actually wasn't listening to you when you were talking about forgiving me? Like we are literally taught that it's like it's part of our language with each other. Holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness is the quickest way to kill any relationship. So if you're married, I just want to tell you right now, you should forgive your spouse. <laughs> you may be going, well, you don't know what they've done. It actually doesn't matter to me what they've done. I know the pathway ahead is going to be for you to forgive. Here's the deal. Forgiveness is actually not for the other person. Clue, forgiveness is for you. Matthew 18 spells this out real clearly, you guys. Go read the parable of the unmerciful servant. Who's the person at the end of that story who gets held in prison never to be released again? It's the person who doesn't forgive. I want you to forgive. I actually forgive Rebecca. This is going to sound so selfish. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I actually forgive Rebecca for my sake. I do it because God's instructed me to do it. I do it because I want freedom. If she benefits from it, then that's between her and God. I forgive Rebecca because I don't want to be held. It's an amazing kind of spiritual truth here, you guys. Forgiveness is different than just saying, I'm sorry. It's different than just saying, hey, they tried the best they could. You know, why, why, why even bring it up again? I'm telling you, Rebecca and I, on a regular basis, before today's out, I will have asked for forgiveness three or four times. And I'm not doing kind of some pseudo false humility there. I'm literally telling you, we're going to say positive things to each other, and then I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And it's just a way, it's just part of our routine. You could also have grace being communicated. If you hung out with me and Rebecca, you would go, Okay, they clearly hurt each other a lot because it seems like they're talking about forgiving each other all the time. And you would be accurate. And then you would go, I wonder if God loves that way. I wonder if God is showing us something about his character because he forgives like that. And the answer to that is, biblically, I think we could say yes. He is not holding bitterness and anger against you. He's extending forgiveness. It's, it's a message of grace all through the scriptures. You can't miss it. Well, the last aspect of God's love. Wait, I didn't give you a letter for that one, did I? So C-O goes with oneness. The letter I put with forgiveness is not F or grace, you know, G. It's R. How does God repair things or restore things is probably the best way to put it. You can see where we're going here. The last one, the, the fourth expression of God's love 
is, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but one of the ways that I feel God's love, one of the ways that I notice it in my life, is that God seems to be really um, invested in me. I know you guys are all special, but I feel really special to God. You're supposed to kind of go, well, maybe you are special. No, I feel special relationally. Like, I feel like God is really invested in me. Like, I feel like God is really trying to equip me or empower me to become somebody that I wouldn't naturally become. He is, he is committed to transforming and using and lifting me up in a way that uh, almost makes me feel uncomfortable, to be honest with you. I mean, I love that I get to preach or teach. I love that I'm a professor at DTS, but it's a little weird. If you really knew me, you would go, that's a little strange. Like, if you knew me in high school before I was a believer, you would go, well, what are his, some of his spiritual gifts? Like, what is he naturally good at? And my list would be things like vandalism. I'm really good at vandalism. I'm good at destroying property and terrorizing people. Like, that came pretty naturally to me. I was really good with vocabulary. Like, I had uh, a very expansive, vulgar... I mean, this just doesn't make sense, to be honest with you. Like, if you were to go bump into some of my high school friends right now and say, hey, Chip is actually an ordained pastor, <laughs> they would go, like, of a cult somewhere? Like, he has got problems. You know that, right? Or if you told someone, hey, he actually has a PhD and teaches somewhere, they're like, yeah, to do like one of those little mail order things. Like, I could totally see him pulling that off. Like, this is not the way it should have gone in my life. And I'm not saying that other than to tell you that God has totally invested in my life to help me become somebody who I could never become apart from his help, apart from his empowering indwelling Holy Spirit that equips me to do things. Now, that looks good on the surface, but I would challenge you to go, if you actually really knew me during high school, you would go, man, Chip doesn't seem very patient. Like, Chip doesn't seem very gentle. Well, you guys can already see a list coming together. These are things that are part of my life now that actually surprise me. I'm like, how did the fruit of the Spirit get in there? Like, it wasn't like I went and took a class on this stuff, you guys. God is indwelling me and empowering me to become somebody who I would never be in my own strength. It's one of the most incredible expressions of God's love. So here's the point. What if I loved Rebecca that way? What if I built her up? What if I poured into her life to help her become what God has called her to be Something she could never do in her own strength, but only with me being kind of like her biggest champion. What if I was like, you know, Will Ferrell, and I did like the perfect cheer for her, and I was like her biggest advocate. She uh, has, there's been times in her life where she kind of goes, Chip, you're kind of like encouraging me too much. And I'm like, just deal with it, babe. Like, this is just how it's going to go. There was a, a couple of years ago, actually, this is quite a long time ago. Before I was on faculty at DTS, I was on staff at a church, and I can give you stories about that. It was wonderful. It was amazing. But as a pastor, I had really bad boundaries. Like, I just assumed if anybody in the church ever needed anything, that was my responsibility. So I just worked way too much. And I remember coming home late at night 
one evening, and I was exhausted. It was like 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and we had little kids at the time, and Rebecca met me at the door. <laughs> she was like, honey, it's a late day. Are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not okay. Like, I'm exhausted, and mostly I hate people. Like, I, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to smell people. I don't want to hear about people. And while I'm explaining this to her, the phone starts ringing at our house. And I just look at it, and I said, I ain't answering it. You could tell whoever it is from the church that I'm not here, <laughs> which probably tells you about my character right there. And my wife, she goes, well, that would be lying. And I'm like, yeah. Like, what's the problem with that? She goes, I can't lie to them. And I'm like, let me do it. I'll lie to them. I'll tell them I'm not here. <laughs> so finally, she's, she's thinking with me. The phone's ringing. She goes, why don't you go to the back of the house? I put the kids down already, but you can go help the kids go to bed, and I'll take care of whatever's on the phone. And I was like, great idea. So I, like, escaped to the back of the house. And, of course, both of our kids, they're, like, five and eight at the time, and they're already out, but I'm like, hey, guys, dad's home. And they're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, do you want me to read you a book? Or can we sing a song? Or can I just hang out back here with you guys for a while? Because I don't want to talk to the other people. And so it's so funny. Josh was like, dad, mom's already done all that. And I'm like, well, wake up, buddy. We're doing it some more. You know, like, hop to it. So after about 10 minutes in his room, then I went to Jill's room, and I was like, hey, Jill, hey, princess. And she's like, Dad, what are you, what's going on? I'm like, I'm helping you go to bed. And she's like, I'm already here. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. You guys could just play along with me. And uh, so anyway, so I'm buying about 20 or 30 minutes back there with the kids. So I come out of the, 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 down the hallway, and I fully expected Rebecca to just be sitting on the couch watching TV or something like that. And she's still on the phone. So I could hear her end of the conversation. She's like, yeah, let me pray for you. Hey, have you thought about this Bible verse? Like, I'm listening to my wife do ministry. And I'll just tell you, Rebecca, she's great at the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, she would love to work back in the kitchen, make name tags. But she's not like an upfront kind of person. That's just not, she doesn't feel comfortable doing it. But after that night... I remember telling her, honey, you have a gift. Like, it's not just me trying to get out of ministry opportunities, but we need to put you up front. Like, you are amazing handling God's word. You should have heard yourself, like, praying with whoever that was on the phone. Like, you've got a spirit of gentleness and compassion I didn't even know was in there. We have to, we have to unleash you on the world. And she's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, and I said, well, I'm praying for it. And so as the years went by, I just kept telling her, hey, I'm praying for you. And she goes, please don't pray for me. Like, don't. I'm like, babe, I'm telling you, you, you have gifts that are amazing. She's like, thanks, whatever. What, we're going to have dinner now. Spaghetti again, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, a couple years went by, and she goes, Chip, you're not going to believe this, but somebody asked me to lead a women's Bible study. And I was like, the answer is Yes. And I said, I'll take care of the kids. It was on Monday nights. And she goes, Chip, I don't know. And I said, babe, let's just do it. Let's see how it goes. So she did it for an entire year. And I was like, how was it? And she goes, it was hard. And I said, yeah, but you were awesome, weren't you? And she goes, well, I wouldn't say that, but I was faithful. And I said, that's great. I said, let's just keep praying. And then she goes, they asked me to lead it again next year. And I was like, the answer is yes, you're going. And so years went by of Rebecca leading this small little women's Bible study. 
And me and the kids got to hang out every Monday night, which meant I took them and we got pizza. We had great discipleship time. <laughs> pizza and SpongeBob, it would, time with dad. It was awesome. And uh, as the years went by, the kids all knew mom's doing ministry on Monday night. Well, after about 10 years of this, just to give you kind of the scope of this, one night Rebecca goes, hey, will you guys pray for me tonight? You know, and we went, of course, it's Monday night. You've got your Bible study. Of course, we'll pray for you. She goes, well, I'm teaching tonight. And I went, I thought you did your little group of six ladies and you taught every week. She goes, well, I'm teaching kind of like for a larger group tonight. I was like, sure, whatever. Like, how many people are going to be there? And she goes, well, Chip, I don't know that you were paying attention, but like, I lead a group on Monday night, and so there's probably about 600 women at this group that I lead. And I was like, what? Like, I had no idea that my wife apparently is like this rock star Bible teacher woman. And she goes, please quit making a big deal about it. I know you're going to take credit for all of this. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, all I do is pray for you and take the kids and get peace on Monday nights. I had no idea that God was using you this way, but it doesn't surprise me. So I, do, I tell you this story to brag on my wife for a second, but I'm telling you, that's how God loves us. God loves us in that he enables you and empowers you to do things you could never begin to imagine. What if you started to love other people that way? What if you started to love your spouse in such a way that you didn't compete with them, but you actually said, how do I lift you up so that you become amazing, so that God becomes glorified in your life? Okay, C-O-R-E, core. This could change your relationships if you guys figured out how to do this. John 13 here, right where we started, a new commandment, Jesus says, that I want to give you guys. On my way out, I want to tell you this. I want you to love one another the same way that I have loved you. And if you do this, this is how the world is going to know that you're my followers. This is how, this is how people in the world are going to know what my character is like. God's going to glorify himself and reveal himself to the world by how you guys love each other. No pressure. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for the challenge. Uh, we confess before you as brothers and sisters in Christ that we could never pull this kind of love off without your help. But just as was mentioned earlier, Lord, you are a good father who gives good gifts to your children. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the body of Christ where we get to hang out with brothers and sisters. I thank you for your word thank you for how you use circumstances, but I especially thank you for how the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, enabling us to do things like this that we could never do in our own strength. Father, I pray that uh, you would transform our marriages, not just for our own good, but for your glory, so that the world might know what your love looks like. We confess to you that we've made a mess of it, and so we just want to invite you into it. And would you walk with us, and would you change us and change our relationships? Um, it seems so much to ask, but you're a God who is powerful enough and is, I think, inclined to do this. And uh, so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name.